What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On today's episode, we'll examine how it's acceptable to make comparisons between January 6th and the Nazis. Why work should be considered a super spreader event. How empty grocery store shelves is peak capitalism. We'll learn that rich people actually do what's called negative work. And finally, we'll watch a video that explains why we aren't getting back to normal. This is Cringe Posts. Hey friends, welcome to the Cringe Post podcast. This is where we assemble the best and not so bright uh, takes that we see in our feed, whether they're political or cultural, and we kind of pick them apart, point out you know where they have some fallacies or where they might be wrong, um, and we also poke fun at them a little bit because all in the good sport of humor. Um, before we do that, we always make fun of ourselves, and we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, it really helps us get out our message of anti-cringe to the world, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. Also, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not watching it, uh, we have a show companion. And so if you want to get, you know, kind of a visual guide to the cringes that we go through, uh, you know, whether it be some of the videos or memes or pictures or posts, um, you can follow along at cringepost.com. There's a link there that you can take you to to the visual guide. Um, So before we get started with other people's cringes, like I said, we like to poke fun at ourselves. And uh, today we're going to poke fun at my co-host Donnie here. And October 11th, 2012, this was a Paul Ryan and, and Joe Biden debate. Uh, Donald wrote, I don't think the world is going to back around to failing in America. I think Iran would take advantage of our downed state. You were, you really were uh, 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 kind of one of those uh, Iran war hawks back then, huh? Oh, uh, I think you're muted. That, I apologize for that. I feel no, like such good. a boomer in a Zoom call, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I think that th- this really shows why I did not support Ron Paul in 2012. Um, and I wasn't won over until Rand Paul um, in, in 2013 to being more liberty-minded in, in sort of the libertarian sense. And you can see because, you know, I like all the talking points of the Tea Party wave, which, of course, you know, Ron Paul was very supportive of and was, you know, highlighted a lot in Tea Party stuff because of his talk on monetary stuff. But, of course, Ron Paul was also the happy warrior who took all the unpopular positions on foreign policy. And uh, I wasn't ready to hear it, you know. And it wasn't until you know Rand sort of sort of laid it out softer for me, and then I kind of was like, okay, like like being spet, spoon uh, spoon fed like a baby. I was like, oh wait, this kind of makes sense, you know. And um and and here that you know this idea that like Iran was this big enemy was the was the big <laughs> talking point. And 
I don't know. Maybe I'm. it's just because I'm not listening to the mainstream news. But when in the last like three or four years have you heard Iran being touted as the big massive enemy anymore? It's it's moved on. It's not popular to say that Iran's the dangerous one anymore because, spoiler alert, they never were. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's popular when, when Trump bombs uh, Soleimani, but that's about right. it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just it's just when there's opportune moments and then you can shut up about it. And uh, yeah, it's it's just funny. It's like this idea that somehow, you know, switching from Romney or Obama to Romney is going to make us, I don't know, more secure when Obama's been droning people in the Middle East this whole time, too. It's like, oh, no, with Obama again, we're going to be downed. <laughs> America's going to be seen like in <laughs> As such weak. terrible international light. Yeah, exactly. So weak. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. I was listening to a, a Ben Shapiro show earlier this week. Um, you know, with all the stuff going on with Russia. For those of you, if you're listening in the future, you know, we're we're in late January right now, and there's kind of a crisis, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> uh, the Ukraine border uh, with Russia and and the U.S. threatening to send troops in and all this stuff. And and Ben Shapiro like gets part of it right because he's like he's like yeah like this is terrible. We should not intervene over there. Like we should not be sending troops. Like. Who in their right mind would send their kid to go die on a border in Ukraine, you know, thousands of miles away from where we live? That really doesn't matter to us. And then, so he gets that right, and then he totally gets the other part of it wrong, where he's like, and you know, this whole situation wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been more involved in, you know, strengthening the borders (laughs) over in Ukraine. Because if we don't fight, if we don't fight our wars over there, we'll have to fight them here. And I just remember that was like the line touted all the time back then of like, well, if we don't fight wars over there, then we're going to have to fight them here on American soil. So better over there than here. And it's just like, man, like, like you, I mean, first of all, let's go read what Bin Laden wrote, right? About like the massacre at Kana or any of those places where it's like, these are the reasons why, you know, whether they actually were the reasons or not the reasons, but these were the reasons he was able to inspire people to fly a plane into a building, right? Was that he was able to say like, look, the U.S. is evil. They're occupying our territory, killing our children uh, for no good reason other than oil. And then you see Madeleine Albright go on TV and say, yeah, I think it's it was worth it to starve 500,000 Iraqi children. You know, those are the reasons that these people, you know, have uh, for committing these crazy acts that are that are awful right all 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 death that is unwarranted is is awful right that's not in defense of someone else um and, but in these people's minds you know it is it is very much in in defense or i guess in retribution for some of the stuff we did over there and that's just what's so funny about like cuz you and i i think came from similar like pretty right conservative backgrounds growing up cuz i was very much like I was like, yes, we're invading Iraq. Like, we're going to take out the bad guy, you know? And it's like, not realizing that, like, oh, history didn't start on September 11, 2001. (laughs) Like, we had been over there killing their folks way more and way more often than, uh, than, and way way before 2011 or 2001, September 11th. Not to mention that they linked Iraq to 9 11 so seamlessly that it's like you look at the events, you're like, wait, Iraq had nothing to do with anything. They literally just used it as an excuse to go in there because they wanted to finish up what they couldn't do under George H.W. Bush. Holy crap. You know, it's like I remember hearing that for the first time being like, wait, you mean Iraq and Afghanistan aren't these linked things? Because the funny thing is, you know, they they started with Afghanistan, then they linked it to Iraq. And then they were that's when they started trying to link it to Iran, which, again, has nothing to do with 9-11. But it's this chain cause where you're like, oh, you want to help fight the war on terrorism, this broad definition that we've named, you know, in response to 9-11. Well, we got to invade Iraq to fight the war on terrorism, which you associate with 9-11. And Iran might have some weapons. So that would be fighting the war on terrorism, even though they have not done anything to us. So 
uh, yeah, they just link the events. And then in your mind, you're in mind, especially when you're younger, it's you're like, yeah, well, of course, I want to take out the back. Of course, I want to fight the war on terrorism. I don't like terrorism. Do you? Yeah, yeah, you're not a patriot. You're just gonna just. I'm gonna pull Rudy Giuliani. You're you're gonna disrespect the people that died on. No, it's like you know the best way to honor those people that died on September 11th would not to cause more 9/11s you know, or give yeah. people kill more or give 9/11s to other people in other countries. You know. Right. Right. All right, we could talk about that all day. I love that sort of stuff. But let's move on to some other folks cringe. And uh, for our first one, we, we're going to have another politics girl video at the end of this. But I figured we'd start out with a with a post because I just thought this was hilarious. Um, so a guy named I don't know how to say his last name, but his name is Michael Be- Besklas or something like that. And he posts a picture of a German stamp from 1935 that honors Hitler's uh, thwarted 1923 Munich Beer Hall uh, 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 riot against democracy. And this politics girl retweets it. Um, That's her actual username, Politics Girl. And she says, if we don't defend and protect democracy, we will have a 1-6 commemorative stamp in three years. (laughs) 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 Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, okay, it's pretty crazy to me that that these people are so deluded in thinking that 1-6 is like a a thing on par with like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or anything like that. And then like, there's multiple layers to it, right? Because there's one, it's like, if, I, I love when when the Democrats talk about like democracy, because if you just substitute like liberalism or, or, or the Democrat party for democracy, like that adjective, like they, it would make sense what they're saying, right? Because democracy wins when they get what they want. Democracy loses when they don't get what they want. And so it's like, <laughs> if we don't defend and protect the Democratic Party, we will have a 1-6 commemorative stamp in three years. It's like, okay, dude, like, like settle yourself down. Like, who's making Nazi comparisons now, you know, that are inappropriate? That's, that's absolutely apt. Yeah. So if you dare make any kind of papers, please comparison with COVID, to you know the nazi regime well gosh you're dishonoring the victims of the holocaust you're a jew hater um we're gonna put a big red stamp on your face that says jew hater for that we're gonna cancel you you're gonna have to apologize you're gonna have staff resign if you're in in a public office and yet you can make a january 6th comparison to, to to hitler's you know riot against democracy in germany and it's like well that's a noble comparison don't you don't you understand they're not saying it's the same thing it's a comparison that and it's like yeah that's that, that's all anything else has ever been um so th- that's a really funny point that you bring up but but yeah like back on that on the on the idea of you know if we don't defend and protect democracy you know it's like a, when you think about what the January 6th protesters were trying to do, whether or not you agree with them, in their minds, they were trying to defend democracy too because they were told, and you could say it's a lie from, you know, Trump or whatever, but but at least the 1-6 groundswell, those people, uh, the, the useful idiots, if that's their perspective, they believed that the election was stolen. They believed that they were being betrayed and democracy was being betrayed. So saying if we don't defend and protect democracy, one six gonna have a commemorative stamp, that's such a hollow thing to say because it's like, well, from their perspective, they're defending democracy. And it's why you need to move beyond this really shallow idea of like lauding democracy. It's like whether or not democracy is a good end in and of itself, 
don't you think there are some like virtues that we should be defending and and protecting that are higher than than mm. if fifty one percent outvote forty nine percent? I would hope that you wouldn't think that your your entire morality is based on democracy, right? Like, I I would think politics girl would probably not agree that if people democratically voted to enslave the other 49% of people that that makes it ethical. So if we need to defend and protect democracy, maybe we should be looking instead to, de- to defend and protect the, the virtues that you want to come out of your democracy, not the democracy itself. Because again, in the, in the minds of the January 6th protesters, they were defending democracy. And so to your point, um, it really betrays that it's not about defending and protecting democracy. It's about defending and protecting your power in the in the system, which currently is given way to the Democrats. Yeah, I've been. Um, that's a fantastic point about like there's a higher moral than democracy itself. Because like, let's just steel man it, right? Like, let's say they're not substituting, uh, you know, Democratic Party or democracy for Democratic sure. Party, and they really do believe like democracy is like a good thing. I've been reading the, um, so I, I don't know if you've read it yet, but Michael Malice's Anarchist Handbook, and he's got a chapter in there by Herbert Spencer, uh, which is fantastic. And it's about basically like the natural law, and it grapples a lot with um, like the ethics of democracy and what true freedom is. And uh, he, he specifically talks about like, yeah, like, because we live in, we live in a representative democracy, right? Like where we, we elect representatives, they go and then they, they represent us. Um, and we try and make it at like a, at an individual level that, it, or at a level where they're representing a group of people that are smaller than, you know, say the whole country, which would be a dictatorship. Um, <laughs> but what, what's really interesting is he's like, hey, even at that level, like it, democracy is still evil because let's say you had three people and two of them want to hire, you know, someone to, uh, you know, represent them. It, it would be really unethical for those two people to make a decision for person number three to also be represented by that person. Like, how can that person be party to that transaction um, ethically? Because they've never consented to it. And that's kind of like, I guess, at the core of anarchism or libertarianism or wh- wh- whatnot is consent, right? It's voluntary. It's it's people have the freedom to associate or disassociate um, up to the point of, you know, actual aggression. Um, and, and that's what's always so funny. You know, I have a, I have a buddy and he's like, He's always like, he's like, we just, we need to really protect our democracy. And like, I feel like it's on threat. I'm like, I think democracy is evil. Like, I think it's evil. And he's just, you know, starts clutching his pearls, you know, because the sacred <laughs> cow of the public schools, you know, democracy has been, uh, has been, has been called, you know, evil. Um, and I, I think that once people, I, I really like simple examples, like you were saying, like if 51% of people voted for 49% of people to be enslaved, we would not say that's right. And that indicates that. Um, you know, there are higher morals than democracy, which in a lot of ways, if we adhere to those higher morals, we, it would render the need to have democracy. Uh, it would just debunk it. We wouldn't need it. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting that democracy has kind of become the, I don't know, like the, the institutional defense of the, of the left, generally speaking, when I feel like growing up, mm. it was a lot of right-wingers who were talking about you know, defending democracy and, and they sort of associated democracy with freedom, right? They, they throw in all the, all the buzzwords for those mm. things and then, you know, proceed to expand the government by 10 times the size and restrict your freedoms and, or whatever without, uh, you know, through, through unelected bureaucrats, no less, right? Um, but, I, but I think it's interesting, even if you consider apart from the actual ideal, but like why, why uh, it might benefit the left now to be using this frame of democracy. And, and it really seems that because 
it's easier for the left to start painting the right as an authoritarian monolith that wants to impose its values on everyone else because of the Trump years, you know? I think it happened before with sort of like moral purity where they would say, oh, they just want to make all of you morally pure. And they did that to like Mike Pence and stuff like that. Um, And so then so then you think about that in reverse and you're like, well, you know, rather than instilling, you know, the mandatory virtues on everyone, what would the opposite be? My mind naturally thinks, well, liberty, everyone should be able to, you know. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Think about and act in their own best interest and figure out what those virtues are. And, you know, I'm going to try to persuade you that what I think is right is right. And you can agree or disagree. And we'll we'll have hopefully a virtuous uh, society from that. But but of course, that cedes way too much power to the individual for for the left. And so now they've retreated to this idea of democracy, because (laughs) rather than, you know, saying this one way is right for everyone, even though they do do that, they now do it through the lens of, you know, this one right is is correct because the majority of people have voted on it, you know? So they still sort of have this plurality, right? They're not going to say that one kind of morality is right. They're going to say, no, you know, your truth is your truth. Um, if you want to have X many genders or live in X many lifestyles, that's fine with us. As long as you comply with this thing that democracy has said, like the vaccines or whatever whatever the sort of issue that they want to hammer is. And that's why I think so many people try to point to like popularity polls. Like, oh, this this policy issue is uh, <laughs> you know, favored by majority of Americans. And and you know, they'll take a small sample size, they'll word it very very generously to the side they want. Like, would you consider uh legislation that would make it's you know, Uh, society safer revolving around guns and you're like well i guess so sure and then it's like you know 65 percent of people want gun control (laughs) (laughs) but but they have to appeal to that because democracy is the way that they can sort of kind of have their pluralistic you know morality viewpoints but still enforce the ones that they want to enforce they use it through this framework of democracy and maybe that's wrong i'm just kind of spitballing here but but it is an interesting shift that I've seen where democracy really was touted by the right growing up, and now it's being really touted by the left. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think you and I have both seen like kind of this weird flip in that in that the same kind of logic and fear and suspension of reason that guided the Warhawks of the early 2000s about terrorism on the right is kind of also now, like I see the same animus in in the left regarding like COVID and some of these other things. Um, and that's, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Like that kind of ties in with like, to have those type of things, you have to believe that a uh, majority makes right in a lot of ways, because it's like, we're going to be very pragmatic. So... Cool. Uh, moving on to our next one, uh, we've got a Twitter user who posted on uh, 12 20, 21, that work should also be considered a super spreader event. 
And <laughs> this is a little, this reminds me of like the anti-work subreddit, you know, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, as I was thinking about this, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, like I, I was homeschooled, but I had like this co-op that I would have to go to once, one time per week. And um, I remember the rule for attending that co-op was that like, hey, like if it snows and the public schools say we're not going to have session, like we're not going to have co-op. Like I was such a like freedom loving person. I didn't even want to go to school one day out of the week. You know, I'd rather just like get all my stuff done in the morning and be done. But uh, anyways, I remember waking up in the morning and just like praying to God that like the snow would be just <laughs> thick enough and the roads would be just icy enough that the public schools would shut down because then I would get to stay home, you know, and just hoping that it, that would continue and continue on. And I can't help but think that, you know, with a lot of these folks that like, that got unemployment checks and that were, you know, that, that were, re, you know, they had the extra $400 a, a week bonus, you know, on their unemployment and all that stuff. Um, that when they saw COVID, like they are incentivized in a lot of ways for this to continue um, because obviously it, it worked out kind of really nice for them. It gave them um, a reprieve from having to work. And then they also made a lot more money uh, during that time. What's ironic, right, is uh, that unless you made under $24,000 a year, uh, the inflation of 6% of the past 12 months has basically done away with all of the uh, the benefits that you had gotten. But all, all that to say, um, I just think that it, this, it's, this is a very childish take and i think it speaks to the childish way that some of these people people view life i that is the word for it i mean that's just the instantly when you read that you're just like are you are you a literal child i mean you're the profile picture that you guys can't see because we don't out people like this but would indicate you're not a child but you sure are acting like one i i mean like it's it's just such a blanket statement it's such a a a a reactionary like i don't wanna (laughs) that's the tone (laughs) it gives um i mean like okay what about people who you know want to work because they have to provide for things it's it's crazy how ready people are willing to throw other people's livelihoods under the bus because they have their own personal hierarchy of value right so this person's like work should also be considered a super spreader event again probably not a grand policy statement but the implications of it it's kind of like in the same way when someone says there should be a law where you're like okay i don't really think you mean this to the fullest extent that it applies so maybe i'm being a little bit like i don't know (laughs) a little bit hyper focused uh as some some are um, on, on this and taking it too literally, but, but you, you know, rhetoric like this, like has implications. So it's like, you're saying work should be considered a super spread event. Okay. Does that mean all work? Does that mean people who are working from home? Does that mean people who want to voluntarily go and like wear a mask, even if that's the, you know, what they want? Does that mean that people who are, you know, unable to support their household on unemployment, unless they, you know, unless they go into work to make enough money, do, do you want to cancel it for them too? Because when you're saying it's a super spreader event, that means that, you know, it would, it should be shut down and not that you wouldn't have to go, but more that everyone can't go kind of a thing, you know, but, but kind of like what I was saying on the last one, it's, it's so much sacrifice required of other people because of what you, the individual want. You, you want other people to sacrifice for your preference, uh, quite in the same way that childish Brit wants, you know, whatever plans, uh, people have to drive up and down, you know, roads, you want those on hold so that it's icy enough and snowy enough to cancel school, which don't get me wrong. I, definitely uh wanted snow days you know in high school as well too like when i wasn't you know being homeschooled uh, 
So, so I, I yeah. get it, but it's, it, it really is one of those things where you, you grow up and you, you take a different perspective of something and you, you realize like the first time I like got snowed in from something that really impacted me, you know, I missed my, one of my childhood friends weddings. Cause I was up an hour North and I was snowed in my house and I was like, I, I just physically can't leave my house. And I'm missing this really important event to me. This sucks. And it's like at that moment, I'm snapped. I'm like, I can't ever just sort of like blanket statement, wish these things away because it impacts other people. Like, even, you know, whether or not my wishes for snow or not has any impact. The idea is, you know, like work should be considered a super spurt event. Okay. But think for someone besides yourself for one moment, think about the people who actually want to work, who aren't, you know, clutching their pearls to use your phrase again, uh, at, at you know, the idea of catching a cold and, uh, need this for their income because their livelihoods depend on it and they don't work a white collar job where they can work from home. Yeah. See, see that there, there's one aspect of it, right? Which is like, Hey, as a child, like you see, I, if I don't, if there's snow on the ground or there's ice, I don't have to go to school, but I highly doubt that child would, would say, in addition to me not having to go to school, I want to make sure that no one has to, can go to work or no one can go to school. And that's the big difference between a child and this person, right? Because this person not only is excited and hopes that they don't have to go to work, they also want to enforce it on everyone else to not be able to go to work. And that's where the real nastiness and like evil, I think you could say, comes from with this is because it's not only do I want to be lazy, I want to enforce my values on other people to be lazy or to not work as well, um, to mold society into a way that, I mean, obviously this person doesn't understand what it takes to make the world go around. Um, and that, that's what, that was, was kind of crazy to me. It's like, it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, like as a kid, I don't want to go to school, but it would, it would be insane for me to say, well, I don't want Donnie to take, you know, if you, if you deemed it worthy to take the risk of, of driving in the snow or walking for eight hours in the snow to get to your friend's wedding, like I would say, go for it. You know, if that's your, that's what you want. If it's that important to you and you're willing to brave it, then go for it. Uh, these people don't have that. They want everyone to believe like they believe. That, and that brings up a great example is is like the the whole thing that this neglects, of course, is is you know exchange uh, opportunity cost of of you know consequences of you know vi- the COVID pandemic versus the consequences of not working or not you know going in. And it's like all these people who are saying we have to we we can't risk anything with COVID, and it's like you you risk things every day. Life is a is a game of trade offs. So it, you know to to keep harping on this snow example, it's like. Yes, going to my friend's wedding was not worth it. It was too far. I would have frozen, you know, if I'd walked and driving was too dangerous. Uh, but doing something like getting groceries, no, that actually was worth it. And and I had to walk, you know, in the snow uh, where because I was snowed in. I had to walk. I bundled up and went with some friends. And we went to the grocery store so that we had food to eat because that was a necessity. Um, so it's like work should be considered a super spreader event. Well, if you're worried about that, maybe it's like, weddings should be considered a super spreader event. I'd still disagree with you, right? But then you're at least prioritizing some things because you have to recognize that, you know, some things like work are essential. But this person doesn't make that distinction. There's no no, no idea of traded benefits or opportunity cost uh, in this person's calculus, which is the great tragedy of COVID. It's the great tragedy. I agree with you. Moving on to our next one, and this this is kind of a good segue about like the tragedy of COVID. Uh, this 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 face or uh, this Instagram um, group called Solidarity with All. We get a lot of posts from them. They they post a picture of empty shelves in a grocery store, and the caption says, "You may not like it, but this is what peak capitalism looks like." And <laughs> 
I don't like. Here's the thing. I when I looked at this, I had to make sure that I was looking at the right page because I was like, this has got to be tongue in cheek because this is kind of the the funny memes of like Venezuela, right? Like, yeah, this is what empty shelves and bread lines is what socialism and communism looks like. But no, the, these folks are serious. They really mean it. And uh, what's crazy about this is like, okay, so peak capitalism in these people's minds is central control of the distribution of resources in the country, right? You've got Pete Buttigieg and you've got Joe Biden screwing up the supply chain, putting people out of work, you know, Donald Trump as well, mandating that people can't work and supplies can't be made, um, and then controlling the cost of different items and centrally planning everything. Does that sound like peak capitalism to you? It doesn't sound like that to me. Um, you know, and, and what what preceded, you know, are we are we more capitalistic now after the COVID regime than we were before the COVID regime? And what is the difference in, sh- in how the shelves looked before and after the COVID regime? You tell me that. Like, I think they were probably a lot more full, right? Like the supply chain thing that we all Americans are seeing these days is not uh, something that was common before uh, the government shut down everything and restricted supply lines. Yeah, so... A really, really small point before I hit the main thing. When, when you threw in Donald Trump uh, adding in there, that made me think about how funny it is how he, you know, appealed to the the blue collar worker and like saying we need more manufacturing in America. That was his whole like slogan and campaign promise type thing. And then the moment there was a little bit of resistance, it was like, nope, nope, screw them, throw that away. You can't do that. <laughs> it was just yeah. really funny. But um, anyway, but I, but yeah, something like this is funny because it. You know, growing up, um, I I don't think it surprises anyone that I'm fairly opinionated and I try to be well read <laughs> and that's always been the case. Um, but even still, you see something like this and it almost makes you second guess yourself because you're like, wait, is this like this just seems so apparently wrong to me. But they're saying it with such confidence that there must be something that I just don't get. And I'm just totally wrong about because it seems like I know a fair amount of basic fundamentals here, but you know, all of my addition gets me to the fact that this is not what capitalism is or would resemble or anything, but, but pages like this post this and you realize that the people who are shouting the loudest really are not necessarily the smartest. And you see that <laughs> when you talk to people on cable TV and you see that when people get elected to office, like it's kind of the, it's kind of like just like a very common thing to know that like, oh, all politicians are actually idiots and, you know, they have to have lobbyists tell them how to vote kind of a thing. But not my politician, not the one I like, not not my representative, you know, that's the exception. Um, and so and so it's wild because it's like you just have enough of these these soundboards that are telling you no this is what capitalism is this isn't this isn't communism this isn't um socialist control of supply chains this is what this is what free markets do this is bad Mm. this is evil capitalism and then people who are less read or versed in this uh and not as you know outspoken as like even me that well you know if i felt like i was getting gaslit and i felt like i had to second guess what I believed when I see these, you know, growing up, like what are the younger people who aren't as into this and who aren't as, I don't know, outspoken, what, how are they supposed to react? Of course they're going to go along with the popular narrative because they're, they're being told, Oh no, 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 no. That's, you know, you might think you understand, you know, basic uh, functions of an economy, but this is what, this is uh, what, what, what's their favorite uh, term? It's a post, uh, 
Uh, it's the it's the capitalist. It's late stage capitalism. That's what that's what they love to say. You know, this is late stage capitalism. Like, yeah. sure, the the idea of a barter and exchange that works at in at first, but we're in late stage capitalism now, so it doesn't work anymore. That's kind of their their uh, that's kind of their their shtick, I think. Yeah, what you're saying is really good in that. Like, I think unlike you and I, who who are nerds about this stuff, and I, you know, I read economic books for fun and and things like that. Like. Most normal people like want to live their normal lives with their families and loved ones and, and do normal things, but they still like within each of us, right? We have a natural understanding that humans are capable of great evil, and uh, sometimes great evil needs to be you know combated or taken down or anything like that. And then we we see thing we see suffering in our lives, right? Like we see the empty grocery store aisle, or we see that holy cow, like that visit to the doctor's office, you know, for a broken arm like cost me $20,000, even though I've been paying insurance, you know, for all these years. And instinctively, we're looking, okay, well, this is wrong, right? We know this is wrong, and this isn't how things should be. And Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What is unfortunate is people like this page, Solidarity With All, come in and they give these folks, uh, they say, hey, all this suffering that you encounter, these empty shelves, the the $20,000 medical bill for your broken arm, like you can assign a word to it and it's called capitalism, right? And then that's kind of like the entry into like, well, capitalism and free markets and, and all these different things, like that is the source of all of your suffering and all of the evil that you experience. And it, they basically totally sidestep logically getting to or understanding the systems that are in place right because it's like it's like okay these people are kind of right in that like if you substituted capitalism or if you substituted corporatism for capitalism and your understanding of what corporatism was is that like oh yeah it's the merger of of corporate uh companies using the leverage of big government and their police force to you know to enforce the laws that they want and to gain an artificial monopoly that doesn't benefit the consumer and only benefits the top one percent it's like yeah you'd be right but that's not capitalism capitalism is the movement of free markets it's voluntary exchange it's it's the it's the people that provide the best services at the lowest cost to people are the ones that are going to grow the most. That 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 equation is as real for economics as the law of gravity is for physics, right? Is that if you can supply the best product at the cheapest price uh, at the highest amount of quantities, you're going to be really really successful. Um, and that's what's so unfortunate, and that's what why these types I think like for a lot of really well-meaning people get overtaken by this ideology because the the culture of, of leftist memes on the internet does that, right? Like they substitute, they, they point out a great evil and then they assign uh, they assign a term to it that doesn't actually describe what 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 uh, was actually going on. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll, I will say on this is it, it feels to me a little bit like they um, they'll play both sides of this too where they show the bare shelves and they're like, oh, this is what peak capitalism looks like because that's what we currently are seeing. And whether or not, you know, that's that's related to capitalism, which, spoiler alert, it's not. Um, it has to do with supply chains and con- government control of the economy. But, the, you know, that's what, that is what's more relevant to people's, you know, 
experience in in the, the the past few months and and so so they'll play that oh this is what capitalism is but but so many of their talking points are that capitalism is when rich people hoard everything and then like only the rich people can afford it and so I would kind of expect to see like a grocery store full of stuff with a price point that nobody can afford. <laughs> That's so it's, a fantastic point. I mean, unless they're arguing, which again, they're <laughs> so economically illiterate that maybe this is what they're saying is that, well, well, of course, you know, uh, you know, marginal, the, <laughs> marginal utility theory be darned. Uh, the rich person's going to buy 800 loaves of bread, even though it's upmarked. And that's why the, the shelves are bare, which is a stupid argument, right? Based on their other things, it should be that these these shelves are stocked and only rich people can afford it. Not that they're bare and empty, because that means that there's just not enough supply, yes. which means that there's room in the market to grow. Yeah, yeah. Because um, their whole of, point, sh- right, is like there's more than enough for everyone. It's like, well, if there's more than enough for everyone, then there should be a lot on there that people can't afford, right? Right, yeah. So, so again, it, it just, it just kind of makes me point. laugh because they, you know maybe maybe you could you could try to make this a little bit more clear with something that's like a high-end product like with the the chip shortage we've referred to earlier so it's like a very expensive gpus or maybe like um insulin or something like that where like you could have a high cost for something then i could see like bare shelves being like oh look only the rich people are hoarding these and so there's not enough but for something like a grocery store where, where I mean, shell, bread has a shelf life. Like, unless you think rich people are buying loaves and, you know, oh, need to go to the grocery store and hoard 20 things of bread, which just, that's just not realistic. I, I don't know. It just, to me, it kind of seems like a silly, silly example for, for late stage capitalism. Yeah, it's good. good point that they try and play both sides. That's awesome. All right, moving to our next one. Uh, we've got a post by Existential Comics, and and they have been featured on here quite a few times. And they posted, "What's funny about rich people complaining that poor people don't work and are a drain on society is that every rich person does negative work. That is, it takes far more work to accommodate their life than their labor could possibly produce. They are the real drain on society." <laughs> and to this, I'll ask. Would Microsoft exist, I'm not a big fan of Bill Gates, but would Microsoft exist without Bill Gates? Would Google exist without their founding team? Would uh, Tesla exist without Elon Musk? And the answer obviously is no, right? Maybe another company might exist, but it would also be attributed to a single person, right? (laughs) Managing that, that company and making it happen. And, and assembling those resources. And so, uh, you know, inevitably the answer is no. You can't have a successful company with micro, with, of Microsoft without someone managing it, making it happen, envisioning it and dreaming it up. Now, as it follows, right, like what kind of benefits do you think Microsoft has brought to the world? And, you know, Bill Gates obviously has that commitment or whatever to give away all of his money, you know, $100 billion or whatever it is before he dies. The amount, that's awesome, great, cool, give it all away. But the amount of money and value and improvement of life that Microsoft products, we don't have to say products, like Microsoft Word has given to the world, I I don't think you can even quantify how much value and money and work 
uh, according to this person, that has produced, right? Uh, in the amount of businesses it has enabled to exist, in the amount of literature that it's produced, in the amount of knowledge that Microsoft Word has made possible. You, you can write a book on Microsoft Word and transmit it to the rest of the world and people can build businesses from that book or get value from that book. Like it, it's, it's literally incalculable how much value Bill Gates inventing and creating Microsoft um, has done for the world. And so it's just crazy to me that, like, I think it's way more than $100 billion, right? Uh, or whatever drain on society this person uh, thinks that, that rich people spending money, money does. There's, there's so many examples that you could give to demonstrate this point that are, like, really basic. Like, let's, let's talk about one where... So let's say that someone lives their whole life and the only job they ever do is flipping burgers at a McDonald's, okay? So let's just say... He, he does he does or he doesn't have a family it doesn't really matter he he's okay living the way that he does but he, it's not it's not a super comfortable living but he you know he 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 scrapes by he's working um at this minimum wage job flipping burgers every day it's a lot of manual labor it's a lot of work like i you know rest service industry does a lot of hard work and i i don't deny that i'm not like trying to think like oh it's easy it you know it's not it's low access in the sense that you can be trained for it fairly quickly and um, there's a wide variety of people who are able to do it. But yeah, it's a lot of work. I get that. Now, he works his whole life and retires, and he's flipped so many, so many burgers. Let's let's say he over his life, you know, he's provided like 400,000 meals. I have no idea if that's accurate. That could be way off. But just for the sake of this argument, 400,000 meals. Now, let's say the store, the guy who like created McDonald's and created a franchise out of it, he is... Let's say he works five years as CEO and f- creates one store, creates two stores, creates three stores, creates four stores, creates five stores, and then he's done. Not only has he created those stores from scratch, which is a you know not accessible thing. It's not like anyone can just come along and create a franchise as successful as McDonald's, but he's now created not only five different areas where someone can make 400,000 burgers in a lifetime of flipping. But he's created five stores where he has multiple employees in each of them who are doing that work. And so each one of them are contributing a certain amount, but he's contributed exponentially greater amounts of opportunity for that to exist. And without him existing, you don't have that. So literally, uh, the, the work that, that, you know, that 400,000 does... 400,000 burgers getting flipped that that happens with one person that can't happen without the other foundation being built and not only does he build that foundation he builds it exponentially more it's like even think about like the idea of a of like if you're if that example doesn't suit you a quick or simpler one you're in minecraft you're like foraging for wood as much as you want and it takes a long time because you're not you're just like hitting it with your hand if someone created the blueprint to create an axe then you're harvesting so much more wood per hour. He's created incredible amounts of value for you, even if he's just given you that blueprint, right? I, I actually don't, I don't think you need the blueprints in Minecraft before you do it, but you, you get the idea, right? Like that piece of information, that, that technical knowledge that you acquire from him makes your work more valuable and he therefore has made everyone's work more valuable. And so to say that they have a negative value means that, Honestly, this person is somewhat taking away the value from every person who's doing uh, poorer, quote-unquote, work, who's using any kind of technology at all. Because mm. you're saying that anything they're doing 
um, has not been improved. It's it's not beneficial. It's not valuable because you're saying that the you know the 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 genius that allows them to take advantage of some kind of technology or some kind of system uh, is not valuable. Yeah, I'm, we've talked about it on here before, and and you mentioned the marginal theory, you know, utility theory of value. And I think we're like at the core of these people's misunderstanding about just all of economics is the fact that they don't know how to value something. They don't know how to determine the price of something. Um, and because they use something called like the labor theory of value, which is the way you determine the price or value of something is by how much labor uh, was put into it. And I can't remember, I mean, I, I guess I'm giving an ad for uh, Michael Malice's book, but there's a chapter in it about this guy. I can't remember his name, but essentially he was kind of like an anarcho-communist. Um, and he tried to do a society where uh, all of the pricing within this community was determined by the amount of labor put into it. And inevitably, no one would buy anything, right? Because no one had any incentive to to innovate or to decrease how much time it took to produce something because that's inevitably how things get cheaper. And um, he inevitably arrived at the conclusion, and, and this is what most libertarians and anarchists have uh, for their theory of value, is the marginal, theory of util- marginal utility theory of value, which is people will pay... Uh, people will pay in accordance to the amount of value that it brings to them. So like a, a good example is like um, that Bob Murphy uses all the time is soda cans, right? Like I might be willing to pay a dollar for one soda can and I might be willing to pay, you know, $3 for three soda cans. But at, 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 at the fourth soda can, like I am no longer thirsty. And so I'm not going to buy a fourth soda can, right? It doesn't have any value to me to buy a fourth one. And so any price discount, even if you reduced the price of the fourth soda can down to one cent, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not going to drink another soda can. So therefore I'm literally throwing away one penny. And what these people don't understand is that like, Unless there's only value in making, there's only value in reducing the amount of of cost in association with the amount or quantity that people are willing to purchase, um, or increasing the quality for the amount of that people are willing to purchase. And so, like the person that like I I thought you were going this route with your burger example, like like yeah, you could have one person that flips four hundred thousand burgers and they spend thirty years doing that. Or you could have someone that invests five years in learning how to engineer a robot that flips burgers, and that robot is duplicated a thousand times, and it can flip twice as many burgers, you know, per year as this other person. That person has brought significantly more value to the market, right? Even though they've done less work in terms of time and labor, um, they have improved the lives of everyone around them um, so significantly more, right? Yeah, the guy that flips burgers is kind of out of luck, but on the bright side, he's going to be able to buy a burger, buy food uh, for a lot less than what he's able to do today. Absolutely, and and one interesting thing that you bring about the the marginal utility, you know, theory. Um, the one the one example you might think is like well of course if if the fourth soda can is one penny well i would buy it cuz i'd save it for later and you're like well okay well let's just say in this example like you're in the desert you have no way to save this fourth can or whatever your your pack is full it would add weight whatever you you just don't have room for this but that got me thinking that so much of the value that capitalism has produced and that this person would complain about like what so much of what the people on top the really rich people have done is they have expanded the capacity of production so that people's marginal utility actually grows right the person mm-hmm. who you know sort of was able to capitalize on ref- refrigeration technology and sell it as you know an everyday household item the refrigerator has made it so that now the utility of 
buying larger quantities of meat or like the freezer, for instance, the, the, your marginal utility is way expanded. The value that you've gotten is now you actually can get so much more meat at a very cheap price because you're willing to buy more of it in a larger quantity uh, for a greater discount uh, and save it because you have the means to preserve and save it. And so the person who's created that has gotten very wealthy from, you know, refrigeration, from freezer, that kind of thing. And they've created the value that has expanded value in everyone's lives and increased that capacity for marginal utility. So not only do they not account for marginal utility, they just don't recognize that so much of the value that is created by these people expands that. And that's not true of every case, but there are usually some kinds of applications for it that, that, that happen where the value that is created isn't, isn't like tangible in the same way. And so they don't recognize the benefits. They're like, oh, they do negative work. It's like, well, no, actually they're, they're doing a lot. I mean, in the same way that you can even argue that, um, I know that that's a little bit more controversial, but let's say like a stock speculator, um, who invests <laughs> people's money in stocks. It's like, oh, he's not bringing anything to the economy. And it's like, well, actually if he's doing his job, right, he's discerning which companies have a chance of making it and creating value and producing more and then doubling that money for the, for the people that have paid into him. So actually he is because he's helping companies that otherwise may not make it, but have good foundations to exist and be created. So even that serves a purpose and creates value of some kind, even if it's not a physical good. As long as it's not interfered with, right? You got to let those types of people fail so that the bad actors, the ones that are bad at speculating, are wiped out and go take a job flipping burgers. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not arguing for any, you know, government intervention. I'm just saying that, like, in, in an honest, you know, yes. in an honest profession, what happens, like, in the same way where it's like, if I have five friends and, you know. So, so my family members like I've got this money and and which one of you guys do you think he's gonna you know clean up my yard better and I know I happen to know that Jim is a, a really lazy and he's not gonna do it I'm like look honestly I would not pay Jim to clean your yard your yard Dan is a much better worker in the same way that I'm providing a value to my family member by giving them you know sort of curated advice that's kind of what even stock speculators do yes but, but the value that that is provided in that is not a tangible benefit it just allows production to happen uh, and expands that fantastic point all right moving on oh. to our last one uh, oh, we've no. got Paul we've got politics girl here again and it's a video so I'm, I'm gonna play this and uh, we'll start talking about it after someone I follow on Twitter recently asked why is vaccine disinformation so important to Republicans and I think there's a number of correct answers. Keep the base fearful, accept no responsibility for past mistakes, pander to conspiracy theorists, so distrust in government. But the most important reason is that the vaccine will restore our lives, schools, businesses, economy, because herd immunity and the curbing of variants will allow us to return to some semblance of normal. And that doesn't work for a party whose entire platform is to make sure the Democrats fail. Republican Representative Chip Roy recently said the quiet part out loud when he insisted that the GOP just needs 18 more months of chaos so they can win in 2022. It's clear, they want America in turmoil. They want disorder and discord. They're actively working against giving us what we need to function and thrive and live. They literally don't care if we die. Vaccinated Republican leaders and far-right journalists are pushing anti-vax propaganda daily. They have all taken the vaccine, and yet they're telling the people the opposite because they are courting chaos. They need the country to be in disarray. They need the Democrats to fail just enough that when they win in 2022 using gerrymandering and voter suppression in state legislatures, it seems plausible. 
They're doing the best they can to hold back popular legislation and democratic successes through propaganda, congressional stonewalling, and the filibuster. But it's not really working. We got our stimulus checks. The vaccine works. The rollout was seamless. The economy is growing. Unemployment is down. And now we have child tax credits going up to tens of millions of families. The Democrats are succeeding at what they promised, and that does not work for the Republicans. So we can literally die for all they care. It's not about the vaccine. It's about regaining power in 2022 to install power in 2024. And the whole thing is calculated and sick, and we shouldn't allow it to continue. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. I would almost file this under accidentally based because if she was talking about both sides, if she was talking about, uh, you know, both the Republicans and the Democrats wanting the country to be in turmoil so they can gain power, she'd be 100% correct, right? Like, it would be totally correct. But it's just so, it's so bizarre that, like, the same party, you know, I I remember Kamala Harris back in, I can't remember, I think it was in October of 2020, you know, basically saying like, oh, I, I'm when she when was asked if she would take the vaccine, she's like, oh, I wouldn't take a vaccine made by this administration, and it's like, okay, dude, these people like, all they care about is the turmoil, right? Like the whole COVID thing and all the hysteria and all this stuff was to create chaos because Trump was on his way to winning, right, in 2020 until this whole thing happened. Um, and I, I mean, you can think of you can look at like the Time magazine. Uh, article regarding like, hey, we had a cabal of people that conspired, literally it says conspired to to take advantage of the situation, revise all the different voting laws so that uh, Trump would lose. And I don't like either party, right? Like, But it, what's so cringe about this is this lady is, is able to recognize the dishonesty on one side and then totally ignore all the other stuff. And then she, she says these really stupid things like, we know the vaccine works. It's like, okay, so does it work after the second shot? The third shot, the fourth shot, because that's what we're talking about well, now, right? Well, like, well, go what for does it. works even mean, right? Yes, she's not even holding the Democrats to account for what they said works means. Just, yes, just to oh, we're going to get back to normal. Like, okay, seventy percent of the population is vaccinated. They estimate that two hundred million Americans have had COVID by now. I think by now we'd be at about herd immunity. You know, if you add all those numbers together. And then the last thing I'll say on this that I uh, not the last thing, but before I hand it over to you, the the one that drives me up the wall is when these people are saying, oh, Joe Biden has done a great job at like the economic recovery. You know, jobs are up and unemployment is down. It's like, yeah, like if I took someone and, you know, they were paralyzed in a car accident and uh, I have them in some sort of walker and they made two steps like, yeah, they've literally, you know, done 200 percent of the amount of walking that they did you know, after the car accident, you know, but after they were paralyzed, but that doesn't mean anything, right? Like they're talking about uh, jobs numbers and economic growth that was literally cut in half and destroyed by, by their reaction to COVID. Um, and that's, it's like, you can't take credit for something, you know, you, you were the problem and yeah, you're in there as we've recovered. That does not mean you're the solution or that you've done anything good or amazing. Yeah. I, there, man, there's so many points on this and I'm like, I'll remember them, but I'm like, man, I wish I'd been <laughs> jotting down all my thoughts because there's so many things she says in there and, and she like throws them in as these little asides and it's just like, I, you could, you could spend 10 minutes talking about each one of them. What one thing is the, you know, Chip Roy said the quiet part out loud where it's, you know, 18 months of chaos to, to win 2022. Yeah. What politician doesn't think like that? Do you not think that that's what was going on in December? Like with that time article you brought up, like all these people i'm not taking the trump vaccine and all this sort of stuff and you know it's just like no of course they were trying to throw off to win the elections that's just what partisans do and you're just as much of a hack as they are um but yeah and then 
it's like it's just there's something again be, like you just feel like you're being gaslit when you're like wait you're accusing the republicans of not wanting things to go back to normal like <laughs> what what is ron DeSantis's entire state been about that they've been screeching at he's like no we're gonna learn to live with the virus and we're just we're gonna go back to normal that's literally been his whole thing it's like we trust you to make your own decisions you know that was the big scary ad we, we laughed about in one episode is, you know, they use that as his line. It's like, how are, like, how are you trying to flip? Fly? It, it's, it's kind of like this, this joke thing that my dad does where, you know, if, if you're arguing against him, you know, not, not like in a mean way, but you know, he'll be like, uh, let's take a left here. And then you'll be like, no, 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 I'm pretty sure it's right. And then he's like, oh, let's go left. You go left. And you're like, it's not down here. And you're like, it's, it's back this way. It was right. And then he'll go, exactly. Like it was his point that he said, right? <laughs> a classic. And, and you're like, no, you know, it's such a dad joke. And, and that's what's happening here. It's like, they don't want things to go back to normal. And you're, you're like, you want to shake her by the shoulders and say, to a fault, that was the whole critique of them is that they didn't want to take it seriously enough because they wanted things to go back to normal. Well, maybe not even all Republicans, right? Because they wanted to shut things down. Um, to some degree, because they fell for it, but but at least since Joe Biden's been in office, right? At least since the reactionary, uh, you know, political wins favored them to be saying that that's what they did. Of course, uh, real liberty advocates have have always wanted people to make their own decisions and things like that. But but you you get what I'm saying? Th that part, I mean, like it almost like I, the first time I watched that video, like. I didn't hear anything else she said for like 10 seconds because I'm like trying to yeah. think about it. Like, what could she possibly be meaning? Like, like wh where is there any evidence of that other than it just fits a narrative? Like, I can't think of any actual evidence or things that any, you know, person has said that that leads me to think that way. It's funny. The The one that really stuck out to me was when she, when she was like, well, they just all want us to die, you know? And yeah. I remember... Um, you know, a couple of weeks back, my wife and I were listening to uh, the Joe Rogan podcast with Dr. Malone, as well as Peter McCullough. And Dr. Malone specifically, uh, like he was one of the inventors of the mRNA vaccine, was talking about uh, like, yeah, like we've got monoclonal antibodies and they work in preventing it. We know that they work. Like all the studies have shown 85% reduction in hospitalization with the monoclonal antibodies. And then you have Dr. Peter McCullough who goes on, he's like, hey, like for the past like year and a half, I've been asking all of these universities, Harvard, you know, Stanford, uh, the Mayo Clinic, which isn't a university, but you know, of these extreme medical institutions, what's our treatment protocol for COVID? Because they, in every, basically everything, they have a treatment protocol, um, you know, whether it's the common cold to the flu to, to asthma or whatever. And they haven't put one out. They've only been focused on vaccination. And he's like, I developed my own like treatment protocol and it works. And part of it involves monoclonal antibodies. And he's like, but there, no one want. I'm being blacklisted. All they're trying to take me off, revoke my medical license because no one wants. They they've got this mass formation psychosis, uh, where they think that the only solution is the vaccine, and so they're going to bury anyone that that advocates for for treatment. And Peter McCullough, I don't know if this is true, but he said that he's like, there's over um, several hundred thousand people have died be that could have been deaths could have been prevented by early treatment of this virus. And I remember my wife saying like, man, these people, they actually do want to kill us, right? And like, I, I'm thinking about just two days ago, um, you know, the, the Biden administration federally handed down a mandate that said, hey, we're revoking use of all monoclonal antibodies in Florida. 
And it's like, okay, Florida has like really amazing uh, uh, COVID recovery rate. It has one of the lowest death rates in the country now. It's 100% open. It's kind of like the beacon of like how things should have been handled. Oh, and by the way, the way that the method and the way that they've done this, they're going to revoke monoclonal antibodies. It's like they, these people don't give a crap about your health. It doesn't matter if they're Republican and they're sending your kids to die in some desert on the other side of the world, or they're Democrat and they want to revoke life-saving medicine from you and lock you in your homes and make you unhealthy and fat so that you're dependent. None of these people actually care about your health. None of these people care about your well-being. They only care about power and extorting taxes from you. That's all that they care about. They want you dependent because if you're dependent, you're weak and you're vulnerable and uh, you can enrich them. Yeah. I, I mean, to that line specifically, like, oh, how many posts have we seen about people saying, well, if you're not vaccinated, you should just die. You should not be on the do. You should get a do not resuscitate. And like, hmm. uh, how many? I mean, I feel like we've, you know, we, we try not to hit the exact same kind of post as much as we can. And we've already hit like a couple of those on our show, let alone all the ones you see out there. It's like, Man, I, I cannot think of uh, of anyone throwing stones from a glass house more obviously than than her. Um, I, man, I, I don't I I'm not gonna say that it was in her post that she said anything like that, but I'm I I, I feel like the last time we we you know no she did had, she did she had a like these people should die video post. This was like probably eight or nine months ago. Yeah, but, I was gonna yeah. say I thought the last one we looked at it by her or or maybe it was just a different one I'd seen, but she said something along those lines. Um, maybe not to that exact harsh degree, but it was, it was pretty bad. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, her, I, I her, her explanation for things, it, it feels like it literally could be a, like a Democrat talking point, Yeah, which, which makes it all the more cringy to me because it's not just an ideological thing. It's like, it's not like this person who is so enamored with the COVID regime ideology that she's saying, no, we still need to stay hunkered down. Um, this thing is deadly. She's so willing to flip with the Democrat talking point that she's like, well, they we, they just don't want things to get back to normal, which is what we want after these, you know, after these vaccines are implemented. And it's like, no, uh, that's that's not what things have been saying. Um, and you see slowly different sects of the left realizing that this is an unpopular, you know, eternal lockdowns and eternal COVID paranoia are unpopular and they're kind of withdrawing. Um, I think I mentioned before our governor is fighting the teachers union right now um, about remote learning because uh, all of the terrible impacts and all the angry school uh, or excuse me, uh, parents of school kids are um, are clapping back and he's like I don't want to get on their bad side so we're going to reopen schools and the schools union or the teachers union is, is angry about that right so it's like even even Jay Inslee is realizing that these are not popular positions um and so they're trying to pivot and that's what just makes it so slimy i mean like on the one hand i'll take it like any <laughs> yeah. any step that's going to get me back to you know not having to wear a stupid mask on my face or you know uh live in this state of total authoritarian lockdown but on the other hand, it makes me really disgusted to see these people sort of, I don't know, not not hold to an ideological principle. It, there's really no long-standing viewpoint that they've held that you can point to that's been consistent. Other than if you disagree with whatever the popular narrative is right now, you are evil. Ooh, and that's what democracy is, right? Bring it all the <laughs> way back, right? That's uh, absolutely. Yeah, democracy is the tyranny of the majority. I don't have any more on this one unless you do. No, go for, go cool. ahead and wrap it up. 
Awesome. Well, thank you folks for, for hanging out with us. Uh, if we said anything that made you cringe or if you have any thoughts on anything we said or additional points, uh, be sure to let us know. You can catch us on our socials at CringePostPod on Twitter, Instagram, and all those things, um, or at our website at CringePost.com. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you next time with some more cringe. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.